Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, we'll continue to cover the ongoing protesting, rioting, and looting, and talk about how, although it may feel like we're in uncharted territory, the country has actually seen this kind of upheaval before. And we'll tell you a little bit about the primary groups involved in some of the violence. We'll also discuss the blatant hypocrisy of journalists and legislators encouraging mass protests in the interests of social justice after spending months telling Americans they must shut down their lives and livelihoods for fear of uncontrollable outbreaks of coronavirus. Finally, we'll talk about the death of George Floyd and how police reform, and even defunding police as some more radical elements have called for, will not solve the problem of abusive police behavior but addressing the hold unions have on police departments might. To begin, the social unrest the nation has experienced since the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, May 25th, has many law-abiding citizens and those who uphold the tradition of peaceful protesting, questioning the tactics of those in the streets who come out after the peaceful protests are done and the violence and looting begins. For example, Virginia Ali, the 86-year-old matriarch of Washington, D.C.'s Ben's Chili Bowl, remembers Martin Luther King Jr.'s frequent visits to the city in 1968 and 1967 because the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee was across the street. She expressed her dismay Thursday at the agitators mixed in with today's nonviolent protesters who create the violence and the looting. For people much younger, the upheaval may seem extraordinary and new, And while it is arguably worse now than the country has seen before, we have seen it before. As our own Ken Braun writes in a piece entitled Antifa, we have been here before with the weathermen. America is very familiar with acts of domestic terrorism seeking to force social and political change. As Ken explains, the playbook of the 1960s is being used in modern day America. Quote, Beginning in 1969, following many years of large and largely peaceful demonstrations against the Vietnam War, a new player split away from the farthest fringes of Students for a Democratic Society on the anti-war left, the Weatherman Movement. Rather than seeking a change in American policy, the Weatherman wanted nothing less than the overthrow of America. Rather than peacefully protest, they set off bombs targeting police, military surface personnel, and government buildings. In the beginning, though some weather leaders refused to admit it publicly, the weathermen were clearly trying to kill people, and early on they succeeded in injuring police officers. It started with the Days of Rage, an October 1969 riot in Chicago instigated by the weathermen that left one city attorney a quadriplegic. The whole idea of starting this riot and then going to war with the U.S. government was so outlandish that emissaries of Fidel Castro's Cuban communist state tried to warn the weathermen off and into peaceful protest. The weathermen didn't listen. Then as now, this damages the reputations of peaceful demonstrators who were often forced to answer for the violence, end quote. The new incarnation of the Weathermen, a group the Trump administration has declared an intent to name a terrorist organization, is a loosely connected collective of socialist anarchists known as Antifa. Working alongside them, but enjoying a bit more social respectability at present, is Black Lives Matter. CRC has done its research on both groups. From our post, The Origins of Antifa, quote, Antifa is not a single organization. It is a movement or coalition of leftist groups, each of which claims to combat fascism, a political ideology whose definition academics have been arguing about for decades. 
The word Antifa itself is a truncation of anti-fascist. Despite the name, the movement embraces fascistic tactics. Antifa has gained new prominence in the post-Obama era. The Antifa website, itsgoingdown.org, states that in the U.S., most anti-fascist activists are anarchists, although a few are Maoist or anti-state Marxists. But in other countries, the movement is predominantly Marxist. Itsgoingdown.org has urged activists to make the country ungovernable by participating in mass insurrection, mass resistance, and all manner of physical violence against Trump supporters, capitalists, and conservative fascists, end quote. As for Black Lives Matters, a group that has been sanitized a bit since their violent birth following the death of Trayvon Martin in 2013, to the degree that Hollywood celebrities are openly donating to the cause and white liberals are kneeling in the streets begging forgiveness, CRC's post Black Lives Matter traces the ideological underpinnings of that group as well. Quote, Black Lives Matter began in 2013 with a Twitter hashtag, hashtag Black Lives Matter, after neighborhood watchman George Zimmerman called a white Hispanic in the press, was acquitted in the killing of black teenager Trayvon Martin. Radical left activists Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tometi claimed credit for the slogan and the hashtag. Following the Michael Brown shooting in August 2014, Dream Defenders, an organization co-founded by the Acorn-affiliated Working Families Party activist and Occupy Wall Street organizer Nalini Stamp, popularized the phrase, hands up, don't shoot, which has since become Black Lives Matter's widely recognized slogan. Not surprisingly, former Communist Party USA vice presidential candidate Angela Davis sits on the Dream Defenders advisory board. So there you have it. Socialists, anarchists, and communists are waging a war on America from within. Once that reality is accepted, the debate over whether to deploy military to stop the violence might be easier to solve. One thing the protests have done, for all intents and purposes, is end the coronavirus lockdown and quarantine as cities across the nation have seen thousands gather, some in masks, some barefaced, and take to the streets in their quest for justice for George. Some conservatives have pointed out the same people who levied accusations of grandma killer to people wanting to get a haircut are now encouraging mass gatherings of people in protest. As our own research director Mike Watson said on Twitter, we were told this was the Spanish flu, so no churches, no funerals, no small businesses, no travel, etc. And then the first major liberal political organizing opportunity presented itself, and suddenly COVID-19 became a manageable risk. How convenient. What Mike is referring to are the numerous articles, like this one from The Verge, that insist that if a spike in coronavirus cases emerges, blaming the protesters would ignore the real culprit, institutional racism. Quote, Public health experts say that governmental failures that allowed the coronavirus to spread are much more dangerous than the recent gatherings, and the issues that protests are calling attention to have been health risks for decades. If you point your fingers at a symptom, which is a protest, you're missing the root cause, which is systemic racism, says Abrar Karan, a physician at Harvard Medical School working on the COVID-19 response, end quote. Apparently, the coronavirus selects only for those opposed to progressive social justice crusades and liberal political talking points. It's something of a scientific miracle. 
Finally, some far-left pundits have used the crisis resulting from the death of George Floyd as an opportunity to call for the defunding of police departments. Our old friend Brian Fallon of Demand Justice and the Clinton campaign tweeted a simple and silly demand Thursday, quote, defund the police. While it's unclear if this means Brian thinks Americans, thanks to the Second Amendment, can arm up and police their own communities, the notion that the fact police exist is the problem is patently absurd. So how do we address a system that lets a cop like the one involved in the Floyd murder, who reportedly had 18 complaints against him and was apparently never reprimanded, go on about his business? A good start would be to address police unions. All the problems conservatives have documented in the case of teachers' unions, protecting bad staff, securing privileges that go against public needs, securing pension and pay promises that destabilize municipal budgets, etc. and at all, also apply to cops. As Reason.com writes, quote, This is what police unions do, defend the narrow interests of police at the expense of public safety. They exist to demand that taxpayers pay for dangerous and even deadly negligence, and although they are not the only pathology that affects policing, they are a key internal influence on police culture, a locus of resistance to improvements designed to reduce police violence. To stop bad cops and police abuse, we must tackle police unions. That's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.